Well, hey, Seacoast, so good to be with you today. So glad you're tuning in wherever you're at. Hey, today we're beginning a brand new series uh, called Won't You Be My Neighbor? Now, when we originally were planning this, the, the tagline for that the, was called Won't You Be My Neighbor? And then it was How to Get Along with Others. We thought we'd be in the middle of a, a political season. The presidential election would be shaping up by now. We'd probably know who the candidates were. And we know that when politics happen, people end up just kind of being really divided. And there's a lot of uh, different ways that people are interacting with each other in negative ways. So we thought, hey, post-Easter, let's do a series that's how to get along with others. And it's a study through Romans chapter 12. We thought if we look at this, that it would be a way that as God's grace changes us, it allows us to speak into a culture that has trouble seeing others' perspective. We have trouble having empathy, trouble with compassion. We, we're not very good at forgiving. We're not very good at, at just general kindness. So that was the original intent of the series. Now we've changed our tagline. It's still, won't you be my neighbor? But now we're calling it grace in a time of social distancing. You know, when I was thinking about that, one thing that I really appreciate about the governor of California, what he's been saying is he doesn't want us to be socially distant during this time. He actually wants us to be physically distant, not socially distant. But the more I think about this, the more I realize is we've already been socially distant for a long time as a culture. The more and more we've kind of become a, a tribal culture that kind of says, if you believe what I believe, then you're okay. And if you're on the other side, I have a hard time understanding you. I have a hard time uh, seeing your perspective. I have a hard time having compassion for you, a hard time uh, forgiving you and, and moving beyond all of that. See, we've been socially distant as a culture more and more every single year. So we thought, what better way to address a culture that's wrestling with that than to go through Romans chapter 12 and see how the grace of God transforms us in a way that then we can give grace in our relationships, give grace in our culture. You know, even just uh, last year here locally, there was a, after one of the elections, there was a lot of kind of back and forth and some division that was happening. And I saw a post right here in Encinitas. The person said, hey, I, I'm really frustrated with all of the negative behavior we have towards each other. And I'm frustrated with the results of these elections. So we're going to have a unity rally. I thought, what a great idea. There's a unity rally in our town. And then right after it, it said, so if you too dislike the other side, and if you too agree that only our viewpoint is right, essentially said that, then come to our unity rally. It's almost as if we're in a culture that thinks that Empathy is empathy as long as you agree with me. Tolerance is tolerance as long as you tolerate me. I don't have to tolerate your viewpoint. We wrestle with this. But Romans chapter 12 is a great passage that talks about people who are transformed, how we can go beyond all of those divisions, that we can be people of peace, we can be people of grace, we can be people of compassion and empathy and forgiveness and kindness. So what we're excited to have you with us. We think that this series is so important for us as Christians, not just for how we interact with one another through our differences, but in the world that we interact with every day. So let's pray as we begin this series. God, we thank you that you don't leave us alone in our mess. Lord, you don't leave us alone even when uh, the world is filled with turmoil. 
God, that you don't also just leave us here to wait for something different to happen. God, you've transformed us and changed us in a way that then we can be people who help transform this world as your life is lived through us. So God, as we look into your word, as we start this new series, would you speak to us? And God, I pray that it would change who we are from the inside out. So your name can be made known in our community. We thank you and give you this time. In your name, amen. Now, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 12. And as we look at Romans chapter 12, we're going to start off right away and and dive right in to how it starts. And and, and so Romans 12, you're you're going to find, uh, as we take several weeks to go through this, that this truth here, as I said, I believe is so applicable. It will work for you and for me, for your friends, for everyone that we encounter. So it starts with this. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, when we look at these two verses that we're going to look at today, it starts off and it says, therefore, in light or in view of God's mercies. Now, anytime in scripture, when we see the word therefore, we want to ask, what is the therefore, therefore? And to understand this therefore of Uh, that Paul begins, Romans chapter 12, really what we need to understand is the chapters 1 through 11 of the book of Romans. Because chapter 12 starts a whole new thought. 12 through 15 is a turning of the page that Paul has, but it's all predicated on what he explains in Romans 1 through 11. So instead of doing a 20-week series on Romans 1 through 11, I'm going to take the next four minutes or five minutes, it just depends on how long it takes me, to explain Romans 1 through 11. So we are going to go through this very quickly. So hang on, keep your hands and feet inside the vehicle. We're going to go very quickly as we go through uh, what Paul is saying therefore about. So you ready? Here we go. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Paul starts off the book and says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. So the book of Romans begins with Paul saying, I'm going to start talking to you about this thing called the gospel. The gospel is the good news about Jesus. And so the book of Romans really explains to us what is that good news. So it starts there. In Romans chapter 2, verse 4, Paul writes, he says, Do you take lightly or have contempt for the kindness and tolerance and and patience of God? Not knowing that it is the kindness of God that leads you to repentance. You see, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. That's where it starts when we think about the gospel. It's the kindness of God. It's not the wrath of God that leads you to repentance. It's not the judgment of God that leads you to repentance. It's not the strong arm of God. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And Paul starts off with the gospel, the good news. Remember, it's God's kindness that's going to change our hearts. It's going to change who we are when we see what this is about. We jump into chapter 3, verse 23. It says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. See, part of the good news starts with the bad news. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
what, again, a quick definition of sin, this is not a complete definition, but essentially it's when we live our lives, any way we live our lives, apart from how God has created us to live. See, our creator has made us in a way that our lives represent his character the way we live. So anytime our lifestyles does not reflect the character of God, it's a simple definition of sin. We're falling short of what God has created us. We're not in his image. So instead of that patience and kindness and compassion and love and grace and mercy, sometimes we have jealousy and anger and bitterness and pride. And and sometimes it comes out in rage and just all of those different things of selfishness and, and, and unforgiveness. Those are sin because it's not how we're created to be. It's not in the image of our God or in the glory of our God. So Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And here the word glory is the image of God. We've all fallen short. But verse 24 says, but all are justified and freely given this grace. We're freely given forgiveness because of what Christ has done. So the gospel begins with this idea of it's about the kindness of God. But we also see here that it's the free gift of God. So the free gift of God is not a gift like when you have a friend who gives you a gift, but they expect that you give it back. You know, kind of one of those like, hey, my birthday's coming up. And you can tell they're saying, remember, I hooked you up last time, so what are you going to do for me? That's not a free gift. God's free gift to us is, hey, I freely give you this justification because of what I have done through Jesus Christ. And so the gospel tells us that all have sinned, but are justified freely because of Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter five, verse one, we continue on and it says this, since we've now been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So again, we see that It's about the kindness of God. It's the gift of God. And now here we see that even this, it's the peace of God. The gospel, the good news is that we can now have peace with God and peace of God because of his goodness. In Romans chapter 6, verse 11, it says, Count yourselves dead to sin, but now alive to to God in Christ Jesus. So now the good news is talking about we've been justified, but our old lives are gone. We're dead to our sin, and now we're alive to Christ. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So now the good news is telling us that we have this new life, We're dead to our old lives, to the sin. We have new life in Christ and new eternal life. We keep going. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That in Christ Jesus, there's no more condemnation for your failures, your past, your present, your future. That that is wiped out. It is finished in Christ In Romans chapter 8, verse 10, it says, If Christ is in you, your old self is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. So the good news reminds us that our old selves are gone, and we have a new life, a new self, that we now, that filled with the spirit, and we are alive because of our right relationship with God, and it's a new self. Romans chapter 8, verse 31 says, If God is for us, who can be against us? 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? So now the good news is showing how our God is lavishly pouring out his goodness to us and for us. In Romans chapter 8, verse 38, where it says, I'm convinced, and, and Paul writes all of these things and essentially says, nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we find that the good news says that you are secure in who you are in Christ. And finally, in 11, Romans 11, verse 33, and following, it says this, Paul has just written about the good news. And then he says, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who became his counselor? Who has first given him that he might be paid back to him again? For through him, for, excuse me, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And all the church yelled, Amen. Because of the good news. So Paul writes all of that. And he says, for God, the, to him be the glory forever. Amen. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, therefore, because of this good news, in light of God's mercy, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to present yourselves as a living sacrifice. See, the story begins with God and what he has done for us. And now he says, I urge you, present yourselves as a living sacrifice. Let's talk about that for a moment. What does it mean, a living sacrifice? See, in the Old Testament, there were five different types of sacrifices or offerings that they would give. Essentially, in all cases, it was uh, usually an animal. In some cases, it was a grain or a, or a produce that they brought. But in four of the five cases, the offering was an animal that would, be, would die in place. If it was a sin offering, a guilt offering, in some ways they had to have restitution uh, for their sin. One was for atonement. But these offerings were, there had to be something that died in their place. And it had to be a suitable sacrifice. Interesting that Paul says, present yourselves as a living sacrifice. No longer is there need for something to die to be a sacrifice because Christ has already paid the price. So what we find here in Romans is the living sacrifices, there's no more debt to pay. There's no more life that has to be lost for the sacrifice. That is done. So now you can freely give of yourself. Now notice this. Present yourselves as a living sacrifice. You're alive that means the price has been paid. Nothing has to pay the price anymore. The sins are covered. Your shortcomings are covered. Your doubts are covered. Your guilt is covered. It's done. And it's a sacrifice. That means that's a suitable sacrifice. We have now been made suitable because of what Christ has done. No longer does there have to be something else in our place. Christ went in our place. So now our lives have been washed and cleaned and made suitable. Now we are living sacrifices for God. So he says, present yourselves as living sacrifices. Because of what he has done, now we start to respond. And he says this, this is your, in some translations will say, your spiritual act of worship. 
I love actually this word here for spiritual uh, that's translated. It's not actually the word for spiritual. Uh, Many translations use that because they're trying to make sense of it. The Greek word here actually relates more to the word logic uh, or reasonable. And some translations actually say this is your reasonable act of worship. That's kind of an interesting way to think about it. He says, because remember, let's break this down. In light of what God has done and who he is, in light of all of the good news, present yourselves as living sacrifices. This is the reasonable way to respond is essentially what Paul is saying. This response makes sense when we understand what God has done for us. You see, when we understand our identity, our identity precedes our behavior. We often talk about this here in, in different analogies, but sometimes I talk about it in the analogy of a marriage. See, when you're a single person, a single guy, a single gal, and you're engaged to be married, it takes one instant for you to go from being single to being married. At the moment I said I do and the pastor said you're now married, I was married. I went from being a single guy to being a husband. My identity transferred immediately. And no amount of books and studying and, you know, all this guys who are engaged right now, we have a lot of engagements at Seacoast right now, all of you guys who are preparing to be a husband, you can prepare and prepare and prepare, but that moment of transformation happens just like that. You can read the books you need to read, you can watch movies like Little Women, you can I thought that was funny. You can do all those things to try to understand what you're getting yourselves into, but your identity, whether you're ready or not, is going to change when you get married. Ladies, the same for you. You can prepare for your new husband. You can prepare. You can think everything, study everything about living with him. But as soon as you get married, whether you're ready or not, your identity changes. And our identity precedes behavior. I was thinking about me before I got married. I was a youth pastor. I was a single guy. I was a youth pastor. And as a youth pastor, I spent a ton of times with the students, a ton of time with them. I loved to skateboard with them. I would uh, play basketball with them, go out wakeboarding up to the mountains. We were snowboarding, uh, going to games, hanging out with the students and their families. I spent a lot of time with them. I really believed as a, as a single guy, I had the time. But as a youth pastor, you, you know, their mentorship is so important. And so when you're with people who are more mature than you, it allows them to grow and, and to, allows people to become more mature. And, and so when I'd, I would hang out with these 13 and 14-year-olds, and as a result, I was, I was really starting to mature um, and become, you know, a little more mature like them. I, I, I really need a laugh track because I think I'm funny sometimes. Uh, but yeah, so I'd spend all this time as a youth pastor And I'd go home at the end of the day and I could eat what I wanted when I wanted. I could clean up when I wanted or if I wanted. And it was fine. But when I got married, see, my identity changed. And there was times when I would slip back into single guy youth pastor. But every time I kind of started slipping back into single guy youth pastor, I realized that this is no longer, that something is not right. It it doesn't work as now married guy. And I had to learn and I was growing with that. But as I would start and remind myself of my identity, no, I'm married Ryan now. 
I, I still am a youth pastor. It's still part of who I am, but there's a new part of my identity that shapes behavior. And that identity had been changed. And so I wanted to remember that. Remember who I am. Young adults who are about to get married, remember this. You will have a new identity. Your identity shapes your behavior. It changes. So in Christ, when we remember our identity, we remember what Christ has done, the most reasonable thing we can do is to present our lives as a living sacrifice, to say, Jesus, you've done so much. My li- I have a new life in you, so now the way I live is my new self, not my old self, my new identity, not my old identity. The author Elise Fitzpatrick was writing about kind of our process of changing and growing. And she says this, she says, one reason we don't often grow in ordinary grateful obedience as we should is that we've got amnesia. We've forgotten that we were cleansed from our sins. In other words, God is saying, God is saying that going on uh, in in our failure, our, sorry, our ongoing failure in our process of transformation is a direct result of failing to remember God's love for us in the gospel. If we lack the comfort and assurance that is his love and cleansing are meant to supply, our failures will handcuff to them or the love of God. And, and then we won't have the faith or the courage to fight against these things or the love of God that's meant to empower us in this war. See, we have to keep reminding ourselves, reminding ourselves of who we are, what Christ has done. It's rooted in that. And then the most reasonable thing to do, our spiritual act of worship, they translate it that way, is now our worship is the most reasonable thing we can do, is to respond. So what goes on from there? Verse two. He says, Do not conform any longer. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is perfect and acceptable and pleasing. See, the next thing here after we present our lives, the most reasonable response to what God has done is to present ourselves. He says, don't be conformed to the pattern of the world anymore. And what's the pattern of the world? When we're talking about giving grace in an age of social distancing, the patterns of the world often, and, and maybe for a short time right now where, where people are being a little more kind, a little more compassionate, a little more empathetic, until you turn on the news and you look at the fighting back and forth that still is happening, or if our lockdown continues a little bit longer, I'll be curious to see how much we can still be kind and compassionate with one another. For me, I know sometimes I'm, I'm doing fine and then next thing I know, I kind of turn on the news or I hear a new report. Oh, they closed the beach. They closed the trails to hike on the next thing and I start to feel myself kind of raging up inside and I don't feel like demonstrating the ways of Christ. Inside, I feel like, oh, I know the patterns of the world. It's a me first world. It's a selfish world. It's one where I want what I want, even if it's at the expense of others. So Paul says, don't conform to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformed by the renewing of your mind. And what he's talking about here is we change when we change the way we think. Now, let me show you something that's different here. I don't mean wake up every morning and say, today I have to think 
be compassionate, be empathetic, be gracious, and be forgiving. I got to do these things. I got to remember these things. That's not what he's saying. He's saying renew your mind. Change the way you even approach the world. Let's renew our mind in a way that we're thinking about, God, who am I? Who are you? And as we rehearse the truth about who God is, it starts to change the way we see the world. We start to dwell on the grace of God. We're able to be more gracious. We start to dwell on the forgiveness of God and the kindness of God. And we don't even have to think about our response. It just starts to happen. The new life in us leaks out. So when we're renewing our mind, I would ask you, what are you spending your time thinking about? What are you spending your time dwelling on? Are you filled with fear and anxiety? Are you spending too much time reading the news? Are you spending too much time researching, trying to find the cure to this COVID thing on your own by researching so many articles? I know I I can get down that rabbit hole. But be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Let's fill our mind. Let's start thinking differently, thinking about who God is and that identity. And when we think differently about who we are, our behavior changes. I remember once in high school, I came home with my report card. I don't know if I came home with it. It was probably sent home because I probably wouldn't have shared it with anyone. But I remember my dad saw it and he didn't like it as much as I did. I thought, you know, so many kids are boring. They all have the same letter grade. I like to diversify, have a full life. So I would try to have a whole range of different grades on my report card because I'm just a little bit more, you know, I like to experience everything, not just one thing. So my dad didn't like it as much as I thought was a good excuse. And he looked at it, and at one point, I remember the conversation where I said, Dad, hey, you know, I got a 2.0. <laughs> at least that's average. And I remember he looked at me, and he said, oh, okay, so you just want to be average? And at that moment, we, that was all he said, and I didn't say anything back. But in my mind, I just thought, oh, yeah? You think, okay, I'll show you. And from that point on, I got a 3.6 every semester after that. Now, I know in Encinitas, you're thinking, that's still not very good. But for someone like me, that was great. Granted, I had PE, weight training, and two art classes, but 3.6 was an improvement. But see, what happened is I changed my thinking. Do I think of myself as just an average student or am I above average? Oh, I'm not going to be average. I'm going to be above average. And on a very superficial level, behavior changed. When we think of not, and this isn't because you have to try harder. This is saying, God, who am I? Who I am is this redeemed, saved, loved child of God. Renew your mind and how you think of who you are. How you think of your day. Dwell on the Lord. It's amazing how different it is when you start off thinking of God and who, what he has done for you rather than what you have to do or what's happening around you. So let's renew our minds. And then Paul ends and he says this. Then you may test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. See in the Greek here, these aren't adjectives. He's not saying that God has a good will for you or a perfect will for you or a pleasing will for you. What he's saying is this. God's will is good. It's the definition of good. If you want to know what is good, if you want to know what is perfect, you want to know what is acceptable, it's God's will. That might not always feel the best for you. You might think, God, I want, your will should be something a little bit different. House on the hill, I want a beach view. I want the beach to be open. 
I want good surf waves with only me on it. But God's will is good. And that's what he has for you. And when we present our lives to him, we're able to see that his will is good. It is perfect. It is pleasing. And then we start to live the life that God has created us to live. And it makes a difference in the world that's in desperate need of grace. See, in these weeks ahead, months ahead, we may start to see life go back to normal. We may not. But if we go back to normal and we're looking at a presidential election, how will we be as people? If we still are in this state of unknown, how will we be as people? Will we be people who are now bringing the grace and goodness and empathy and compassion and forgiveness to those that we see? In the weeks ahead, we're going to break down the rest of Romans chapter 12 and we're going to see some specific uh, lifestyles that come out of a result of being transformed by presenting ourselves and having our minds renewed. But I want to leave you with some hope today. As we end our time here and we move into one more song of worship, I just want to encourage you, maybe you're here today, you're discouraged, maybe you think, hey, I haven't really been living my life for Christ or maybe I keep failing or I'm still just, I'm filled with anger, I'm not gracious. I want you to know God's not done with you. He has a plan for you. Dwell on his grace, dwell on his goodness and be transformed by what he has done. Let me pray for you. Lord God, I thank you that you are good. I thank you that your good news is so much better than what we could come up with. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to change us and transform us. Lord, by the renewing of our minds, let us dwell on you and who you are. And Lord, I pray that um, for anyone listening who feels like they just keep running into roadblocks and they keep failing, God, would you remind us that you are the way maker? Would you remind us that you're the miracle worker, that you're the one who's going to continue to work and change us and change our world in and through and around us. We thank you for that truth. We pray, God, that you just receive this now, our praise in your name. Amen.